All right, so this morning, we are continuing in our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 3, and this is part 2. We covered the first six verses a couple weeks ago, and this week we're going to finish up this chapter. And the title of this morning's message is, Salvation Has Come. Salvation Has Come. A couple weeks ago, we learned of a, of a man by the name of John, uh, who was considered by the Lord as being the greatest man who had ever been born of a woman. In other words, the greatest man that's ever walked this earth other than Jesus Christ himself. And that's out of the mouth of Jesus. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. And we came to understand that the reason why John was considered to be great is because he pointed people to Jesus Christ. He pointed, he prepared the way And he pointed people to Jesus Christ. That's why he was considered to be great. He was a humble man. And yet he was a very strong man. He was a man's man. This was a man who uh, just wore the simplest of clothing, ate the simplest of foods. And his whole focus was on preparing the way, preparing the hearts of people to come to Jesus Christ. That was his whole focus. John was considered to be great because as the song said that we sung, Jesus was exalted in his life above all. Now, I want to read verses 28 through 36 in John, the Gospel of John. So keep your finger there, and we'll get to Matthew chapter 3. But in John chapter 3... I want to read to you what John said as it's recorded by the Apostle John. So John the Baptist, he said this. Verse 28, chapter 3 of John. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet... No one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, In verse 31 of what we just read, John two times said these words, He who comes from heaven is above all. His name is exalted. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. If you think about it, you can say any other name in the world, and it will not have the same effect, the same impact as Jesus does. As soon as you say Jesus in any area, any group, Ears perk up, whether it be for good or for bad. 
If it's a fellow brother or sister in the Lord, quickly, your ears perk up. Oh, you're encouraged. Oh, someone else, a brother or sister in the Lord. And you're, you're quickly drawn, right? The opposite is true for those who are opposed to him. As soon as they hear Jesus, they turn to being offended and, and want to like, put up their guard and so on and so forth. So there is no other name. You can say Buddha and it's like, uh, no big deal, right? You can talk about any other religion and it's kind of like, okay, okay. But as soon as you say Jesus, oh man, it's either you're for or against. There is no other name. It's for a reason. It's because truly, as he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? And it's known. That is the truth. This morning we see how John sees, uh, he, as, as he's having so many different people come to him, being baptized in the Jordan, he sees this one select group of men finally coming, and he talks to them, he addresses them. We see that this morning. I, I don't know what brought him out. doesn't say what. Sometimes when we have a lot going on, there's a sense of curiosity that kind of draws us to what's going on. Perhaps it was that. It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees that came to see John the, bapti- uh, the baptizer baptizing in the Jordan all kinds of people. What's drawing them to John the Baptist? John knows who these men were. And we're going to learn how it is that he called them out. But there's much more than just calling men out. It's not just for the sake of calling them out. To kind of pointing them out and saying, this is who they are. This is who you are. Like, no, there's a purpose to it all. There's a reason why John called them out. He knew that they were prideful. And what we see here is there needs to be also an application in our own lives of humility before God. I've always said, and I've said this often, that we need to live lives as Christians daily, lives of repentance. It's not just a one-time thing. Oh, I came to the Lord, and I repented of my sins, and I gave them all to Jesus, and now I am forgiven. No, it's daily. It's this humble way of living that we are committed and devoted to. Because there is only one Lord, and we submit to His authority. There's a proclamation that we see here of who Jesus truly is. And all who experience and know, come to know salvation, must come to recognize Jesus as being this one person that is the Son of God. Not just a good person, not just a good leader or teacher, but the Son son of God Himself. It's a realization of the arrival of the long-awaited Savior, So three things that I'm going to point out as we go through these verses. Number one, we see that John gave a clear warning. Secondly, he spoke of a coming judgment. And thirdly, we see a complete or a completed righteousness in Jesus Christ. Those three things are very important. The the two previous ones are the very ones, ones that we need to realize in order for the final one, a completed righteousness, truly to be known by us personally and intimately. They're critical. Let's pray. And then we'll get into 
our text. Father, oh, we want to commit ourselves into your care right now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to clear our thoughts. Lord, that anything that perhaps we're, uh, we have going on later on this day, Father, would be put off to the side, Lord, that we would give you our undivided attention. I pray, Father, that you would send your spirit out among us, that uh, you would pour your spirit out, that you would give us understanding, that as we understand your word, as we see it for what it is, that we would apply it to our lives to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey what the spirit has to say to the church this morning. We commit our time into your hands And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about a clear warning. Starting in verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a clear warning that that John the Baptist gave these men that were coming to find out what was going on in the Jordan River. Again, many people were coming from all over, all over. From miles away, coming to be baptized by John. But again, it wasn't until he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism that he was moved to say these words, as we see them recorded here. By the way, these two, two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're very distinct, and yet they made up the leadership of the church at the time. Judaism we know is the religion of worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's based on Old Testament scripture and rabbinic tra- uh, traditions. That's where, that's where it's based in. They believed, in fact, even today, that tradition was equal in authority to scripture. And we know that to be true of some religions, to where traditions or what the leadership brings about is on equal footing, if not superior to the very word of God, which is false. There's a clear deviation from the biblical truth that righteousness comes by faith in God, a misunderstanding of the law, as well as a misinterpretation of its personal application. They believe that a person is made righteous by keeping the law. And they believed they were righteous because they believed they kept the law. You know, if you ask anyone that doesn't know the gospel, doesn't understand God's free gift by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ, that that is the only way that you come to know salvation and the hope of eternally being in the presence of God forever, If you ask them, many times what they'll give you is the same answer that perhaps you have come up with. 
before coming to Christ and understanding God's grace. Will you go to heaven? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think so. I mean, God is love, right? And I haven't killed anyone. I haven't really harmed anyone. I do a lot of good in the world here and there. I try my best. And I believe that if the scales were, were balanced, you know, that, that I, I would make it into heaven. I think so. Is that a no-so or is that a think-so? And, and really, there's nothing that you can base that answer on that is, that is absolute. Right? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have said that in the past? Probably a lot of us. Right? A lot of us. It's the same mentality. It's the same thing. These men thought that by keeping the law, by being good on the outside, that maybe that would give us enough merit with God to allow us into His presence for eternity. They thought there's no way that I could go to hell. I am a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am an Israelite. I am... One of God's people. But we need to understand that there's none righteous, no, not one. Even our righteousness on our best day before God, it's like a filthy garment. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says that. None is righteous, no, not one. Ephesians 2.8.9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Underline that, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In fact, Jesus knew these, these fellows pretty good. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Kind of sounds similar to John's words, No. How to win friends and influence people. Apparently they didn't read the book. But he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like, wow. Now are those words of condemnation? Were John the Baptist's words, words of condemnation? No, not at all. Now they claimed righteousness because they were, they thought themselves to be law abiding. So knowing this, John warned them to not rely on fake righteousness or the, or the family tree. I'm, well, I'm the son, again, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm, you know, you follow the genealogy, I'm there. I'm in. Are any, any, is anybody born into salvation? No. No. Right? I thought I was kind of like that way. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I, I did. That's, that's my belief growing up. Is that I was born into a family 
that was a part of the Catholic Church. And so therefore, if I did X, Y, Z, if I did one, two, three, I'm in, right? If I just kept to the sacraments, I'm in. No, no, no. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it's a free gift by God, not by works. It, it, it can't be that. It can't be that. It has to be not by our works. We fall short. It's by God's grace. You know that that lifts this huge burden off of you? This doubt that you once had? I remember when I realized this, it was like, wow, this is it right here. This is the truth, and this is straight from God's word. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the son of God. I don't have to do anything. Why? Because the work is finished. It's the power of the cross. It's a shed blood that covers my unrighteousness with his righteousness. So John warned him, don't rely on any kind of outward surfacy righteousness that you might want to put out there. Don't rely on the family tree. Galatians 3 chapter uh, Galatians chapter 3 verses 7 and 9 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And John called them a brood of vipers, sons of snakes, sons of serpents is what he was calling them. That's a strong term. I mean, here they are, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All they wanted to do is come and see what John was doing. (laughs) Imagine John John turns around and sees them. You brood of vipers, you sons of serpents. (laughs) He's talking about you, Phil. (laughs) Imagine that. But this would paint a vivid picture in their minds. Why? Because farmers would burn the piles of stubble in order to prepare the fields for the next planting season. Guess where snakes hide? In these piles of of wood. In fact, when I was a kid, uh, again, I told you that I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? Okay, so that's a disclaimer. We would go up to Blue Mountain. I grew up in Grand Terrace. And um, there was all kinds of piles of wood and all of that. And I would purposefully lift those pieces of wood up to look for these little things that slithered around. They're called snakes. I'd catch king snakes and gopher snakes and uh, red racers and even rattlesnakes. Catch them all. It was like a, a challenge, right? So I'd catch them. I'm still alive. I'm fine, <laughs> but we would. I remember we'd take the ATC up there, and, and sometimes the, the rattlers, we'd put them in the back. You guys remember ATCs? Yeah? And there's this little compartment in the back. Yeah, latch it down really good, and then boom, off we go. And it was, it was me and my, my brother, Eric, and we, we'd have a good old time out there. Okay, but these snakes... So these snakes, they hide in these piles of wood. So here's the picture that these Pharisees and the Sadducees 
knew John painted for them. And what the farmers would do would, was uh, to prepare the field for the next planting season. They would burn these piles of stubble, snakes, as they were hiding in these piles of stubble. Would, the fire would be coming and they'd be set ablaze. And they'd try and get away. So as soon as the fire was coming, they'd try and get away. Rarely did they escape successfully. So here's the picture that's being drawn. By the way, the Word of God is littered with these types of analogies to paint a picture of the truth of God's Word. Matthew 23, uh, 33 says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Again, the same picture. How are you going to escape this judgment? The fire. Both, I asked you before, are these words of condemnation? Jesus does not condemn. One remains condemned in their sin. He has come to convict. Both John's and Jesus' calling them out as serpents and vipers was not meant for anything other than to make them aware of their own wickedness and calling them to repent. There's, what are you going to repent of if you don't know that there's something to repent of? Right? I had to agree that I was a sinner. I had offended God in order for me to come crawling to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. My offense is before God. An outward appearance of righteousness does nothing for actual genuine righteousness before God. It only prevents the person from coming to know salvation in humble repentance. If there's pride that's really welling up within you, if you're putting up that block wall all the time, every time someone says Jesus, someone says salvation, someone says hope, there's only one way, Jesus Christ. It's like this wall comes up. That's pride. And it's not allowing you to truly come to the knowledge of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not until you allow the Lord to break down that wall that you are able to surrender to Him with all genuineness, all sincerity, and really know salvation, really know everlasting life. John was attempting to make them aware that their fruit did not match true repentance. And if the tree is not bearing good fruit, then judgment, judgment was very close. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, no mere pruning and trimming work did John come to do. He was the handler of a sharp axe that was to fell every worthless tree. Close quote. And that's what was there. We're going to read about that. A coming judgment in verses 11 and 12. He goes on to say, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, John's work was to pre prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And he was explaining to them that the baptism that is to be known in Jesus Christ was different than the baptism that they were uh, coming to know through him. It was different. His was one of repentance, 
But the one that was to come, Jesus Christ, was prophesied by Ezekiel. A a baptism with the Holy Spirit to those who believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And John speaks of Jesus, who's coming. And at the same time, he, he makes this distinction. Listen. He speaks of himself as someone who isn't even worthy to carry the sandals of the Savior. Again, the time and the culture and the application of this. Because after having so strongly spoken to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and directly, you could say, offending them, kind of like sometimes when you shock someone, that's, that's I imagine, what, what they were filled with, with shock, right? Now he's talking about this, and he's saying, I'm not even worthy to carry the sandals of he who comes after me, for he was before me. John is speaking with genuine humility, acknowledging that he comes nowhere close to being compared to Jesus Christ and considers himself to be his servant and even lower than a servant. This is something that meant something to the religious leaders of the time because to loose the shoes of a master and care for them was one, was this work that was reserved for a slave. But it was considered to be too low a task for a disciple of a rabbi. So he was saying, I'm not even considering myself a disciple of, of the teacher. I'm considering myself even lower than a slave. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must continually increase as I continually decrease. I must fade into the background. He must be exalted above all others. John was saying to them, and they understood it, that he considered himself so low that even a house slave before his master would be of more value than he before Jesus Christ. John wasn't even close to boasting about the number of people who were coming to be baptized by him. His focus was solely on preparing the way for them to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he was saying, hey, the same fire that burns away the shaft purifies the pure. That is, those who are in Christ. The same winnowing fork that tosses the shaft into the air tosses the grain. Only the grain will be gathered up and brought into the barn. The shaft that is scattered will be burned with unquenchable fire. That is the truth. You see, the Jewish leaders confidently thought that the Messiah was coming to judge simply the enemies of Israel, but failed to realize that the real judgment they needed to be aware of was the judgment of their sins. And the question is, what would you say if you heard something like this? What would you do? How would you respond? Judgment is coming, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. 
1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The knowledge of the coming judgment is to prepare the way for Christ in our own lives. But it requires a, a humility, a brokenness before God. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, these you will not despise. They needed to come to know that the only way to escape the eternal fires of hell was come into the loving arms of Jesus Christ and be saved by grace through faith in him, the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only one way, only one door, only one good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Think, think about this because there's something that just struck me, and I'll share it with you as we close. This leads us to the final portion, a completed righteousness. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It completed righteousness. Now, the Bible doesn't give us an account of Jesus' upbringing other than what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, which says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up like anyone else, from a baby to the point that his ministry was initiated and he was um, tossed into temptation. We're going to learn about that next week. But he increased in wisdom and in stature. That means he grew up. Physically, he grew up. He learned. He understood. He's not this far off God. He's one that has experienced everything like you, have not, you and I have experienced other than sin. But now, at this point, Jesus is coming out of the shadows of obscurity. And his ministry is initiated by God in the Jordan by being baptized by John, whose purpose in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. And John recognized who Jesus was in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. That he might be revealed to Israel. You could understand why John was a little hesitant as Jesus came. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here he comes and he says, I've come to be baptized by you. Oh no. You, me baptize you? No, no, no. 
You need to baptize me. What do you have to repent of? Nothing. You don't have anything to repent of. But it wasn't a baptism of repentance that Jesus was about to experience, but rather an identification with man and even an outward illustration to the world that he has come to die for the sins of the world and be lifted up from the grave by the power of God. It was this illustration, this picture that was being drawn again to rise victoriously from the grave. And so Jesus stood in the place of sinful man. And he was indeed baptized by John. In John chapter 1, verses 33 through 34, it says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God is already on those who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. It's only removed as we come to surrender our lives to him, believe that Jesus Christ certainly is the Son of God, to receive his forgiveness. I just want to point something out. That although the Bible, did you know that it doesn't use the word Trinity? You won't find it. Sir Tyenlo, you, you, won't, you won't find it. But can, I, but can I point something out? That here in this chapter, we see a visual. We see how it is that all three are here, present. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see them here, at work, active. Now, everything that the religious leaders thought completed their righteousness fell short of a genuine and true righteousness that can only be found and known through Jesus Christ. What we see here this morning is a clear warning of a coming judgment. They weren't words of condemnation, they were words of conviction. These were religious leaders. And it was all for the purpose of being convicted of sin so that they would come to repentance, genuine repentance. This warning of God's wrath is a wrath that is well-deserved due to the guilt of breaking God's laws. But it's a warning that is oftentimes ignored because it is a wrath to come, as we read here in this chapter. The wrath is to come. Well, it's not now. You don't know it now. Well, if you could just take a peek into the spiritual realm, you would think otherwise. You see, this wrath is God's judgment of a person who remains in their sin. What John says is that judgment, the judgment will come swiftly and accurately, and by the way, eternally. At that point, there will be no escaping it. None whatsoever. But we know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Salvation has come, truly come. In fact, I was reminded of the Philippian jailer who asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. That, that is awesome news. Awesome news. It's like, wait a minute. So it's like a, another area that we can go to in Scripture, and it points us to the very fact that Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. You believe, you, don't, you no longer have to keep the law in order to be saved. You never had to anyway because you always fell short. You always had to look forward and have faith in the coming Messiah anyway. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast. Now, how many people have been coming to church, let's say, for the last, I want to say 20 years? Quite a few. Okay. 15? 10? 5? Everyone keep your hands up that you've already put your hands up. 5? Okay, so now I'm looking at most people. Last year, right? Almost all of you, right? This is what I wanted to share with you. The Pharisees and Sadducees, as they came, I, I, was, I was sitting there and I was thinking, um, there's this deep conviction that came over me because as we continue to come in fellowship and, and be a part of what God is doing, we can fall into the same place that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were in. I was thinking about the, these songs that we were singing. And I, I was overwhelmed, thinking, God, am I, am I just sometimes going through the motions? Have I, have I lost that first love for you? And I was just overcome, because I was thinking, at that point, I can become, I can become critical. I can become even hard toward the Lord and the things of the Lord. I can look around instead of looking up. That's, that's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing. And I was just, I'm sharing this personally, I was deeply convicted. I was thinking, I need to come to the place to where I'm just completely just pliable to the holy anointing of God's Spirit. That if not, I'm not being moved by what I'm singing, if I'm not being moved by the presence of God, if I'm not moved in prayer, if I'm not moved by fellowship, oh God, forgive me. If I'm just coming and going and I'm the same person I, I left as when I'm, I came in, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be that person. John, Jesus... Peter, Paul, all of these men proclaimed the gospel to a sick and dying world. You could see in their lives that they never lost the passion, that they went all the way through. Why? Because they were focused on the author and perfecter of their faith. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to go to the ends of the world to fulfill what they've been called to do. All for Jesus Christ. 
But it was that intimate relationship with him that made all the difference in the world. Because with all of that, there had to be this love. What are we demonstrating? What is the fruit of our righteousness in Jesus Christ? Answer that question. I was sharing it in, in, with the leadership meeting on Friday in Acts chapter 5. You can read it for yourself. Is when we know it all too well. You guys know Ananias and Sapphira? So we know that Ananias came and they had agreed. They had kind of in the back room, they, they, they were going to sell um, this property and then they were going to give a portion to the church and, but say that they had given it all to the church, right? So they stood before Peter. And first Ananias came. He says, well, I sold it for such and such. And right away, Peter didn't even ask any questions. All he said was, why, why have you come? In, and I'm paraphrasing. Why do you come? You're, you're not just lying to man, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And boom, he fell down and died. His wife came in. Now Peter gave her an opportunity and said, did you sell for such and such? Yes, we did. And it's all yours. We're very generous. Again, I'm paraphrasing. That's not what was said, right? Mm. Relying to the Spirit, she fell down dead just three hours previous. Her husband was buried. And I was thinking about this. How many times have we purposed to justify in our own hearts how we live our lives before God? how it is that we convince ourselves that it's okay when we fall short of sacrificing to God, of living lives that are completely consecrated unto Him. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for that. It's all about, and I I understand this is a very careful and delicate subject, but please help me find something in the New Testament that shows differently how it is that we sometimes exalt even the family above Jesus, and then we justify it. I'm not serving the Lord because I'm just ministering at home, and I'm witnessing, and I'm doing all this. In all the work we say, the Word tells us that we are a body. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Please show me in there how it is that we are to neglect the work of the ministry. Can you please? And I'm saying this because, again, I'm deeply convicted. It's not there. And you know what it is? It was like, this is is something that it was just like, it was just like a slam. I can exalt my wife above Jesus. I'm to honor her. I'm to respect her. I'm to love her as Jesus respected and honored and loved and loves the church, but she's not to be worshipped by me. And, and trust me when I say I have all kinds of excuses that I can make for not coming and serving the Lord. I can use all kinds of things for justifying, and I would be no different than Ananias and Sapphira. We come before our fellow brothers and sisters and say this or that. You guys follow me? And really the bottom line is, Oh, Ananias, oh, Sapphira, why have you purposed in your heart to lie to God? 
Oh, the church would be so much more powerful, the local church, if we just took what even what John was teaching here in, in Matthew chapter 3, and we saw it for what it was, that our righteousness in, is complete in Jesus Christ, that we are our whole purpose of life, our, of our very breath of, of our lives, is to serve and honor and glorify the Lord at any and all costs. These men were willing to go to the grave. They were willing to go to the grave. Men, I challenge you, stand up and be men of God. Women, I challenge you, stand up and be women of God. Young children, take heed. Take heed. Because that is a life worth living with complete purpose unto the Lord. Not for anything else, not for anyone else, but unto the Lord. You will be in right standing before him. There was a deep conviction in my own heart as I stood there. Because I don't remember exactly who said this, but I regret to say that I only have one life to give. And that's for the sake of Jesus Christ. The more I walk with him, the more I just want to give to him. But I want to have a tender heart toward him. A tender heart. I'm going to close with just praying. Anyone who who would like um, to perhaps recommit your life to the Lord, maybe you're, you're in that place to where it's like, you know what? This was totally speaking to me. And, and I am that person, perhaps, that is justifying why I do and do not do the things that I do and don't do, you know. If you're here this morning also and you don't know salvation in Jesus Christ, just know, hey, listen, these are the most loving words that you could hear. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Ask him for forgiveness. Today could be the day of salvation for you. I pray you do not walk away from here without knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we prayed before we even started that your spirit would move mightily. I think that you're moving mightily even right now. I pray that your church would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That more people would come and know that you are real as they come into and experience a fellowship of the brethren here at Refuge. I pray, Lord, that we would be a humble people before you. That we wouldn't just read a story like this in Matthew chapter 3 and see the Sadducees and the Pharisees and think, oh, poor them, they were so prideful and so religious and so full of themselves. They were far from God. And not come to realize that we could be those very people ourselves. Lord, as we're here... We confess our sins to you. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins. That you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that you would set our feet on solid ground. On the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for moving in our hearts this morning, Father. We humbly surrender ourselves to you. 
and ask, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out upon each and every person here. Praise you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.